On the show today, let's all flee from the movies, let's go talk about movies, and let's be part of the movies in three, two, one. Alex, do you feel like going to the movies? No, that sounds like a terrible experience, but let's do it anyways. Of course, it's actually going to be game-related. Don't worry about that. Oh, good. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of which, uh, hello, everybody, and I am Nathan. And I am Alex. And welcome to Total Pebble Knockdown, the thing I should have said before I said my name. Alex, I have a weekly muse for you, which you're going to oh. be sad about. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, yay, sadness times. I'm, Let me get the emotions up. Uh, okay, yeah, okay. There's a movie that I just saw a trailer for uh, that is uh, based on, on a video game. You want to take a wild guess as to what what video game? Mm, sadness? Minecraft. Close. Um, Five Nights at Freddy's. Oh... <laughs> yeah, I think I had vaguely heard about that a while back, but I don't really give two shits about FNAF. <laughs> neither, um, do, neither do I, but... Uh, so I'm... I kind of disregarded the fact that they had a movie, like... Yeah. That they were doing for it, too. So, so I see this trailer pop up, and uh, it's got Josh Hutcherson in it. He's the new uh, night security guard at Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria. I, I guess that's the location. It looks like it yeah. is. Yeah. My initial thought process was, one, kind of impressive that this indie horror game has gotten a major motion picture release, but... Well, you say indie, but at this point... (laughs) Indie-ish. Like, security breach and everything, we're done. Not with the original person, it was a whole other studio that did it, so... Right, but it it did start from independent Yes. once upon a time. Um, And as a mobile game, more or less. But my second thought here, and I haven't really seen a ton of people talking about this yet, maybe they have and I just haven't been in those spheres... But I'm sitting there thinking to myself, as I'm watching this trailer, I don't really know who this is going to be for. Uh, The reason I say that is because it looks to be a legitimate horror movie where the animatronics come to life and terrorize some kids and stuff. Perfect. In this. And I sit there and think to myself, okay, what is this going to be rated, first of all? And who is this going to be for? Because my impression was always that FNAF games skewed to a a fairly young demographic of the kids that would play on their phones and get the jump scares from the Freddy Freddy, uh, coming out and eating them or whatever the animatronics in that game do. My thought process is is that they're the ones that are going to go want to see this horror movie. How's that going to go over? Like, what if they say that this is... I'm going to guess this has to be at least a PG-13 movie. Uh, it would be uh, weird if it wasn't an R-rated. <laughs> yeah, not sure. Word, but, um, 
But if it's a horror movie, it would be weird if they made a PG horror movie. That's all. I'm yeah, thinking. I don't think they could. I mean, I understand that like video games horror is like there's no Depends. problem rating. I don't think on it. Maybe like yeah. eaten up or something like that. But like, sure. I'm mostly just thinking like if it if they say that it's a PG rated horror movie then it's either not going to be particularly scary or it's not going to necessarily attract the demographic that they were uh looking for if it's if it's a higher rating so i yeah. so so i'm sitting there thinking to myself that there might be a few parents out there that are going to have a very odd conversation with their kids who want to go and see the the five nights at freddy's movie i can just see opening night though of the FNAF new movie, of just crying children in a movie theater <laughs> and thinking to myself, probably not the look that they're going to want, or maybe, maybe that is the kind of publicity they'd want. Look at all the kids that are crying. Come on, kids. Come on down to the movie theater. See if you can take the horror that's going to befall you. <laughs> um, I think that just as a movie format, it's an it's an interesting choice. Like, I understand the reason why they would make the movie, because obviously it's a very popular franchise. I feel like they could have just saved money on the on the however much money they're spending on this movie and made it a uh, web series. Yeah. Like, for a low budget with a couple, like, decent indie horror filmmakers. But they went the, the big budget route. Hollywood actors that... Or have recognizable names. I don't think anyone watching or playing FNAF, like legitimately younger people playing FNAF, would care about that. No, the only thing I can think of is that they they figure that maybe kids that grew up playing FNAF, since it's been around for a little while now, are old enough that they can now see a horror movie specifically about like animatronic monsters coming to kill you. That feels like a very a very small window of a demographic that you'd be targeting at that point. <laughs> yeah. Do you see this possibly working for them by doing this? Uh, maybe. I don't think they're going to make nearly as much as they expect. I don't it's think the tricky. same people that are watching, like, big-budget Hollywood movies are the same people that will pay, play FNAF games. Sure. Sure. I don't. I don't think horror game enthusiasts are the same people that like watch horror movies necessarily. I mean, yes, there is definitely yeah. a lot of people who watch horror movies and play horror games. Like, I get it, but I don't. Especially FNAF. Yeah. That's that's part of the mascot horror. I guess the they're hoping to hit the marketability aspect of um, FNAF and the all the mascot horror games, which is the whole thing that I've seen like five different videos on now at this point come up in the last month about mascot horror because apparently that's what we're talking about now on youtube oh yeah um, what was it bendy and the ink machine was another one of the big ones and yeah and poppy's uh, what poppy's palace or something like that oh poppy's playtime anyways um yeah. no i've just seen a bunch of a couple uh video essays about mascot horror pop up in the last like month yeah. They're like, oh, okay, I guess that's the trend now we're going with, why mascot horror sucks, or why it's a thing. I don't know, marketability is a big thing for those games, and games in that genre. Yeah. Um, because they're aiming at the target audience of being younger, who will buy anything. Right. Or a lot, a lot less discerning customers, but I think at the same time, a younger audience convincing their parents to let them go see a horror movie? This is what I'm thinking, yeah. Might be a harder sell. Yeah. Like, oh, there's this game and there's no real rating on it because it's on Steam. 
<laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Or uh, versus buying it at the you know store, which oh you got to be seventeen to play this, you know, or buy it, and you got to have an adult permission. Steam doesn't have that mm. as the thing if you got your Steam wallet in there. You don't even have to ask permission from a parent if you don't have that enabled. You know. Yeah, the, I don't think the people that buy those games are necessarily the people that are going to be driving themselves to the movie theater and buying tickets. And and I, I sit there kind of thinking to myself, you know, we've seen a lot of Hollywood adaptations of video games, and some of them go okay and some of them don't. But not many of them were horror-based, were, were from yeah. the horror genre. The closest I can remember them doing was like, Resident Evil, but they just turned the Resident Evil franchise into, like, an action movie franchise. Not right. really a horror franchise. Although, I think they might have a really good chance. Hey, Capcom, if you're listening, you're not. But if you were, uh, maybe if you adapted, I I don't know, uh, Resident Evil 7 or something, and you did it, like, as a straight-up horror movie, uh, that might do better than the ones that you did because they didn't seem to go over very well. Just lean into the horror aspect, man. Or or do 4. Do Resident Evil 4. Anyway, there's there's a lot of different horror uh, games that I think skew toward like an adult audience that would make sense as like R-rated horror movies that you could do in the theater. They don't have the number of downloads of FNAF, so they think to the, so they figure that this is going to be a, a, a straight-up win. There's a possibility that this does really well, but they have to thread a very fine needle uh, in order to be able to uh, appeal to the demographic that actually plays the game. And, or, or appeal to enough people that have heard of the game that wanted to know what it was that are able to actually see it. That's going to be what's interesting for me to see. We'll probably do real well the first week or two. I don't know if it will stick around past that, or if it has the staying power for it. In much the same way as a game of FNAF ends up usually going. Where there you, you go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to look back after doing talking about it like we're not movie experts or anything like that but it'll be interesting after it comes out like how it'll do um and we can not necessarily do a full episode but we can maybe touch up on that at some point maybe we'll do a post-mortem or something and talk about how it does when it actually releases the the thing about it like i i can't really say that i'm good at predicting these things because there's been plenty of movies that did real well and i have no freaking idea why uh and and some that i thought were going to be really big deals that didn't end up being that way but my just general impression is that there is this certain disconnect between the demographic that they have to get into the theaters and the demographic that they realistically can get into the theaters yeah and that that's going to cause a bit of uh an, an issue of sorts yeah. when we get to the actual rubber hit in the road. Um, right. But for anyone who's down in the comments, feel free to tell me I'm absolutely wrong. Uh, do, are you looking forward to a Five Nights at Freddy movie? And more importantly... Absolutely not. <laughs> and more, moreover than that, um, does this spell that we could finally get that Bendy movie that we've all been looking forward to? There's going to be at least one person, one person who sees... Oh, Five Nights at Freddy's, it's about it's about fun bears, and it's a video game, and think, this is just going to be like the Mario movie. <laughs> yeah. 
I got bad news for you, folks. Hot take at the end here. I sure. feel like if... I don't know what the FNAF movie is going to be, if it's a big budget. Are you doing it from, like, the first-person perspective of a no. security guard? Or, no. like, you're actually having a camera? Yeah, you're you're having cameras where you're focusing on the the main characters and everything. So it's not it's not through the lens. It's it's yeah. focusing. I, on I the feel lens. what they could have done or should do if they wanted to make a decent FNAF movie mm-hmm. is do it as a found footage horror movie filmed on like an eight millimeter Blair Witch style. Yeah, you do it like that, where it's like, all right, maybe it's just um, GoPro-type footage, you know? Yep, sure. Something like that, you're exploring the closed-down thing with the flashlight, seeing the animatronics, and, like, having to escape and getting lost, or something like that. Um, but that sounds like a very short movie, too. It sounds like a short movie, although, it, and it also sounds absolutely terrifying. Uh, I do think that they probably will be trying to do this more as, like, the, the Hollywood trying to do more of a tentpole sort of movie. Uh, as as a horror movie, so it can't be so immersive like that, like like the Blair Witch, uh, in order to do that, which I understand. Um, also, so that they could have Josh Hutcherson, because if you're if you're going to get somebody who was like in Hunger Games to be the lead character, um, it doesn't make sense to just have them having a GoPro on their chest so that you never see them. Not a bad thought. I actually kind of like to see that as a horror movie, almost like Backrooms. But uh, yeah. but but with uh, Five Nights at Freddy's thoughts, leave them down below. Yeah, leave them somewhere where people care in the comments. No, we said <laughs> where people care. Oh, sorry. sorry. We got a, a little bit more movie-ish stuff. Oh boy, more movies. Yes. Let's uh, Total Pebble movie critic. Yes. The sequel. Total Pebble kinetoscope. I wanted to do a little bit of a soapbox just to tell you about a couple movies that I saw uh, okay. recently that are video game related. That are video. You saw Mario. No, I didn't see the Mario movie. Okay. I, Sonic. I heard it was okay. I I actually have seen both of the Sonic movies. I have, but that wasn't what I was going to talk about okay. today. <laughs> Would you like me to tell you? <laughs> I saw, yes. Okay, uh, so I saw uh, D&D, Dungeons & Dragons, uh, Honor Among Thieves. And, nice. And I saw Tetris. That one I talked uh, about before. Yes, the one we have talked about, and I have also seen the Tetris movie. You have? Oh, okay, that's yes. interesting. I, uh, I, Crave had put it on. Yeah. It was on some streaming service and was doing it, and uh, I actually sat down and watched most of it with her. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Um, actually, I, I guess then let's talk a little bit about Tetris to start then, because I, I have to say that it is probably, for people who are used to the video game adaptation of movies, that is not what Tetris is. <laughs> it is not, it is not, let's play as somebody who has to compete with falling blocks coming into place. This is the, this yes. is the history. I, I would like to preface this with the fact that when you had originally told me about the uh, Tetris movie and chalked it up to a documentary yes style movie hmm. uh, you were totally wrong uh, it, it's a docudrama yes the yeah. way you had slated it to me was that it was a oh. documentary type style movie and I was like that sounds dumb uh, yes. and we had said like yeah it's kind of weird it doesn't seem like it'll be that great and um, I would like to say, Yes. It was actually a pretty decent movie. It, it was not 
as uh, silly as I thought it was going to be, I think one of the things that helps is that the two main characters were executive producers on this, so at least they, they knew, like, what the content was going to be, or they were actively involved in the making of it. But the thing that I thought was very interesting is, like, there's a few chase scenes and stuff at the end of the movie, if you're looking mm -hmm. for some action. But the thing that was very interesting, the amount of business decisions and copyright information that goes into just licensing a game, especially yeah. especially at that time trying to get a game out of the USSR. Uh, right. Right at the time where the USSR, as you can kind of tell when they're... they're um, Toward the, end of the movie is is at the very yeah we're in the waning days uh, as Gorbachev kind of toward toward the end is kind of like oh and you know you know I don't know why they didn't just cast Gorbachev as Gorbachev that would have been pretty sweet they could that would have been great honestly that that would have been great if you're ever wondering how business law works you're gonna love this film <laughs> uh, and if you wanted to see a, a like a very 80s movie it is it is definitely inspired by that uh even in the music and in the presentation of like doing the cutscenes as like the 16-bit like cutscenes or the 8-bit yeah. cutscenes and stuff like that it's very stylized it is very stylized i think that they did a little too much expo dumping at the very beginning where he's like talking to the investor and he's basically giving like 90% of the story to him when he's t he's explaining like how we get to this one point mostly so that they can do the part where he goes to the USSR. One of my favorite parts though was where they have this long back and forth about how they inadvertently like gave away the rights to do the console version. Mm -hmm. because of how they defined what a computer is. <laughs> right. <laughs> which, which is great. And then they, like, do the switcheroo. And... Yeah, they rewrote the contract, made the guy sign it so he didn't have the rights to it anymore because they defined it properly. Right. But no, it was an interesting movie. Obviously, yeah. a lot of, like, big brain stuff going into it of the, like, actual, like, law-type stuff in it and, right. and contract stuff. But obviously, it was... Yeah, I think it was pretty decent. Like, yeah. it was a very tense movie throughout. It was like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. when you first hear about it, you d you're like, I don't see how this is going to be nearly as, you know, dramatic as possible. But boy, they, they really do make the interpolitical nature of getting a game out of, <laughs> out of the USSR pretty pretty intense uh, and you know there is of course some uh, heightened stylistic things that go along with it because as you said it's not a documentary so right. it's not just a bunch of talking heads telling you what to think um it's uh it's actors portraying the people that were in the, <laughs> this right the thing entirely i liked how they talked about like nintendo and mirror soft those were fun <laughs> yeah. and it's like i didn't even remember mirror soft which is kind of indicative of what happened toward the end of the movie too with them um, yeah. And this wonderful confluence of having this very simple puzzle game that they need to license out of a place that doesn't really want any of their intellectual property going outside of the country, and this incoming wave of really the mobile uh, gaming market, where the Game Boy that only like 10 people have ever seen is coming out. And how can we move this obscure game that has like is having trouble getting outside of the USSR entirely to turn it into the largest game 
of that generation on a handheld console that didn't even exist as far as most people were even aware. And that's an interesting, I thought that that part was really interesting about going from legitimately this very archaic way of thinking about things to this neo way of looking at things that has, that that's future tech. Uh, and and how the old kind of is crumbling at the same time that this new uh, generation is coming up, and and how they tried to transport it around. It was funny because I was watching this with like uh, mom and Mark and everything, and they obviously didn't know anything about Tetris except that she right. she had played it on the Game Boy uh, <laughs> when back when, before you got the Game Boy. Yeah, well, I I had gotten the Game Boy, and I had gotten it from my aunt Carmen. I had the old, the the original, the big one, the big brick. Yep, the, I got the, had the big brick, and um, I had gotten from my aunt Carmen, who gave it to me because she realized, because she was playing Tetris all the time, and it was mm-hmm. the thing where where she was like, "I'm gonna give this to you now," and and my uncle thanked me because it was like literally taking up all of her time playing Tetris. Man, imagine. How far video games have come. I know, right? And so then when I had my Game Boy, Mom would play it when I wasn't around, and she started to see falling bricks in her dreams. So when they do that thing at the very beginning where Hank is, like, talking about, I see the blocks falling in my brain. It's She's like, I know the feeling. <laughs> but But no one really understood the the absolute intricacies of just how we even got it so that we could experience it ourselves. So, very interesting film. Definitely not what most people might expect when you hear a Tetris movie. Or when I try to explain to Alex, apparently, what a Tetris movie is going to yes. be. Sorry. Last night, I also saw Dungeons & Dragons uh, Honor Among Thieves, which I was very excited to see. I think I was more interested to see, one... How watching this with people that are no familiarity with Dungeons and Dragons were going to take it. Mm. And two, what my understanding of Dungeons and Dragons and the experience of playing it was going to relate to the, the movie itself. The people that I was watching it with that had no frame of reference for Dungeons and Dragons, they thought it was a fun fantasy adventure. So they got something out of it, no problem. Uh, for me, uh, one, I like the references to the, the, like, you see a lot of the classic monsters from D&D that show up in this, and you can identify classes. You even get to see, like, the tabaxi show up at one point, and I think Mom's reaction was, Ooh, cute cat people! And it's like, yep, that's that's the reaction you should have when you see the tabaxi. Um, the dragonborn show up, the aracocra, you know, you get to see some, some of the neat uh, races that are, are in Faerun. And they talk about the Harpers in this and the Red Wizards and stuff like that. I don't think anyone who hasn't played D&D is going to have any idea who (laughs) the Harpers or any of that is. Well, luckily they tell you. Like, they they explain the Harpers because the the lead character used to be one. So they explain that uh, in more detail. I, I think the thing that I liked about it the most was that if you really look at the party and the campaign that they have to go on to complete their task, it will probably remind a lot of people of what playing D&D feels like. The plot basically revolves around the lead character, and I'm not really spoiling much here because this is this is something that they 
talk about before the actual title screen shows up right now <laughs> for for the movie. So this happens in like the first 10 minutes. Um, the lead character had something that happened related to his backstory that led to the death of his wife. There's this token that he's trying to get that would be able to bring somebody back from the dead. And he's trying to steal it with a group of other thieves. Mm -hmm. It goes badly, and he and uh, Holga, the, the barbarian who he's always traveling with, get caught, and the other ones get away. He's in prison for a couple years, and they escape, uh, and they go back onto the quest of trying to find this so that they can resurrect his wife. The path that they take in order to do that ends up being, uh, we've got this magical gate. Well, how are you ever going to take down this gate? Well, there's only one way to do it. You need to get the special helmet. Okay, well, how are we going to get the special helmet? Oh, it's in the Underdark. Now we got to find somebody that's going to get to the Underdark. And as they're explaining it, things go completely wrong, like every single step of the way, where the plan has to get sidetracked for this other plan so that we can do this other thing. Uh, the puzzles get completely, the puzzles of like trying to get over the bridge gets completely wiped away when one thing goes wrong and then they have to come up with a brand new solution. Um, Elgin, the main character, uh, basically is kind of like going, okay, so plan A didn't work, so now we're on to plan B. Oh, and we have a plan C in case plan B doesn't work. Terrific. <laughs> and then there's a part toward toward the middle where they're kind of like going, okay, so plan B and C and D all failed. Okay, um... You know what? This is fine. We go back to plan A, but it's plan A2 now. A2 <laughs> and, electric. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like plan A, but not the plan A we originally thought we were going to do. And I thought that for the for the most part, that was very reminiscent of the experience of playing D&D, where it feels like every time you come up with a plan, something goes wrong and you have to come up with a new plan <laughs> that seems like a worse idea than the previous plan <laughs> to get there. But it's fun. You get to see mimics and displacer beasts and you get to see slimes and dragons, obviously, and they go to the Underdark and, you know, there's there's a lot of Neverwinter as part of it, you know. So, so of course, you see it's all, all the places. classic Forgotten Realms. Exactly. Not a lot of deep diving places, but a lot of the places no. that people are familiar with. Well, well, the Underdark is a deep dive place, but only because it's underground. It's underground, yeah, exactly. Um, but fun stuff, you get to see uh, many of the classic characters that are uh, represented in, in the thing. You get to see paladins and uh, barbarians, druids, um, a sorcerer and a bard are the ones that are part of like, the main campaign and the rogues obviously uh so it, it's fun and i think the spirit of it was was really good um chris pine has the kind of attitude for a bard that makes it worthwhile uh <laughs> um so and michelle rodriguez as a barbarian that makes sense to me that's like her her training from the fast and furious franchise has really prepared her for this um just over the top uh street brawling sort of thing makes makes perfect sense um a lot of lot of good stuff overall uh and and i think it's a fun enough adventure if people were looking for like the big epic campaign out of it one i don't think that would translate very well to the two hour long movie um no. but as a fun fantasy adventure that is themed and styled with the forgotten realms as your setting 
Um, yeah, it's kind of like Ocean's Eleven meets D and D. I think it's kind of yeah. what that seems more like, and has a lot of fun nods. Especially there's there's a part, and people saw it in one of the trailers, but there's a part where they have to go into this maze. They're standing there, the team, and then like off to the side is this other team that looks like they have very colorful garb on, and you realize immediately, oh, that's the team from the '80s uh, cartoon. Billy the Barbarian and the the kid that that's the wizard and all that they they put them in the movie as one of the teams that's trying to get through the maze and win the prize. So I think that if people like D and D, they're probably going to get something out of that. But if you don't know anything about D and D, as several people didn't when they saw this, uh, you're probably going to enjoy it uh, because it's got some it's got a little something for everybody, as they say. Unfortunately, though, one criticism I can make is not a lot about copyright law. <laughs> yeah. I Why would there be really... anything about that? Well, you know, I was spoiled after Tetris. I thought I was going to learn something about, you know, uh, video game rights. And I, I did not get that. I did not get that from this movie. No, I've seen a lot of video game films at this point, and uh, D&D Honor Among Thieves is one of the better ones um sure. frankly uh even though it's not video games so to speak but uh but i've seen a lot of game based movies and and uh, yeah it's it's um in the top 50% uh, <laughs> rather than the bottom and uh, and i think tetris actually is too i i thought that it was a very interesting take as trying to do a docudrama off of video yeah. games which you don't always see so right um but anyway, if anyone is down in the comments and wants to tell me if I am, again, very, very wrong... Or very right, perhaps. That... that's too much to ask. Damn. Sorry. Alex, we've been talking a lot about uh, games in movies uh, over this episode. But I wanted to talk to you, uh, delve a little deeper, delve a little deeper, and talk a little bit about the cinematic quality of role-playing. Because I started to realize when I was watching these movies that um, a lot of people who are not familiar with role-playing games probably don't understand the more cinematic aspects of it, the more dramatic aspects of it. I don't know if you've found this when you try to talk to, especially people that are a little older than us. Have you had that sort of issue before? Or has anyone even asked, I guess? From yeah, I, don't, I don't know that anyone's ever really asked. I guess the, the thing that I would put in front of people is that a role-playing experience is not just the math of games. If you're used to something like a puzzle game, it is also the storytelling and social experience of actually playing that. And so if you were watching like a, a Dungeons & Dragons movie, uh, that experience kinda is what people that play TTRPGs are hoping to have that sort of adventure where you get to play a character and you get to go on this epic adventure. And I think that if people were to like watch that movie uh, and, and want to get a feeling of what the game is or what it's like, you might get that 
experience. Let's say I wanted to do almost like an Honor Among Thieves sort of experience for people to kind of to explain to people how this might run. I don't think that there's really anything different from the movies, so to speak that we would have to change over if we were actually playing Dungeons & Dragons. Like, your character's backstories could be set up in the same basic way. Um, <laughs> of, uh, you know, your barbarian getting kicked out of their tribe, um, and the uh, bard having this history with the Harpers, which is a whole thing in itself, um, and going on this quest to steal an ancient relic. Um, and uh, a druid as a freedom fighter, basically, it makes... Sure, those are not well. too out of the realms of things these character archetypes would be doing. Exactly. You could set up characters that have similar backstories, but again, that's all in the minds of, of the players themselves and what they want to do. Now, the actual quest line and the driving force is about creating your plot, and creating the catalyst events that lead you from point A to point B. There's no reason that somebody running the game, because that's what you would have, you would have a game master running the game, um, couldn't set up a scenario where this is the magical MacGuffin, essentially, that's going to help you complete your quest, and then put a bunch of obstacles in your way for you to try and overcome. Right. Uh, and it is also very likely, in similar fashion to the movie, actually, that you would wind up with these intricately laid plots that can easily be undone because of the actions of characters. And the fun thing about that is that, in so many ways, campaigns run like that. You mm -hmm. have this uh, idea that you're going to be able to go from point A to point B, and the, the people have to go along that line, but that gets completely thwarted by the actions of the players themselves, and the right. characters and who they are. That makes me think it'd be really interesting to run a campaign where no matter what the player's plan is, as a dungeon master, you make sure it goes awry. Oh yeah. Like, you can set up the premise of what they want to do, but make sure every plan they have, like the stone thing, let's say that they figure out this complex method that should work just make the first thing they do go wrong yeah that way they have to rethink everything on the fly it would be a like i'm pretty sure it would be annoying but great and hilarious and good improv but at the same time as care like if they were aware that you're gonna fuck with every plan they make maybe yeah. they'd be okay with it but I feel like if they Possibly. you just kept doing it they might complain if not you, you might have to find a logical reason in similar fashion to how storytelling usually goes, at least the best kind of storytelling, uh, where uh, this happens because of this other thing. So if you you could you could jerry rig that a little bit where uh, because of the action that you took over there without you understanding it butterfly effects out <laughs> sure maybe you give stuff. the group an item uh like a cursed item they don't know it's cursed but it's like bad bad mojo mm -hmm. <laughs> so it just every time they try to do something that like puzzle break or whatever it just yeah like makes it fail it turns every success into a fail the fun thing too uh that i noticed in that movie that feels very reminiscent of playing a role-playing game they came across uh, about halfway through the movie, the the what they called the hither thither staff, and the hither thither staff is basically a portal gun. 
in, in the world of D&D where you can say hither to this side and thither to the other one and that you can see, a point that you can see. And you can go from one side into the other portal. And that they utilize that to get around all of these obscure traps over the next, like, <laughs> portion of the... To, in, in order to try to get around these things. But ultimately, in many ways, they uh, come up short. And these plans also end up failing because of things that they did not plan on. Um, you can totally put, as, as we find in that particular movie, you can put one of your portals onto a painting and hide the painting so that it goes into the magical vault. But if the painting then falls down flat on the floor, then the portal is just facing the floor and you can't go through it. So so now now you have to figure out how you're getting around that. You poke As your hand point. through the portal and push the painting up. Lion well, flush, what are you going to do? You make sure that you put it on a painting that's got beveled edges. Yes, that was my thinking, actually, was that next time, beveled edges. You make sure yeah. you have that. Um, nice gilded frame. And I, I like the fact that they, like, go, oh, I have a plan on how you get around that. And then they try that, and ultimately that doesn't even matter because of another problem that they didn't account for. And a problem after that, and a problem after that. So, uh, in a lot of ways, that movie does do a good job of exemplifying what it's like to play D&D, as I was saying before. But those are also things that you and your normal campaign are probably going to run across. I know from my experience playing different campaigns that a lot of times your plans will go awry and that's just by its very nature. In fact, I think it's harder for your plans to actually succeed because everybody has to do the correct thing in order for it to work and usually uh, try to create, come up with a creative situation in order to get around it. Um, yes. That also offers interesting opportunities for character development and to try and figure out what your character would do in certain situations. Uh, it is not the same as I think people might be confused about as if you were to play a game like uh, Risk or Monopoly, where there where you roll dice, you go around the thing, and there's there's specific win conditions. For those who don't know about it, it's it, there. It's not like that. Those the role-playing games are not really uh, about win conditions that are defined particularly well at the start, or how you actually succeed and win. Um, it is much more about uh, building a, a story and uh, really playing a, a character. Um, which I think is actually one of the reasons why it's kind of weird that it took so long to get, like, a good version of a D&D movie. Because it lends itself so well to that same kind of storytelling experience. Like, role-playing, there's also a reason why you see so many of these streams that popped up with the live-playing. Where it's, uh, like, voice actors or, you know, cinematic actors that will play these games and seem to have a knack for it because it's a, a similar skill set um, of, of embodying a character itself. You don't have to play that way. Uh, we've talked many times on the show about how you could go back to the roots of, like, being more of a strategic game. 
Don't know. I don't play with a table with miniatures and things on it because that's just a giant, uh, even more of a time sink to to deal with that. And it's like that's Warhammer. That yeah, point, if I wanted that, I'd play Warhammer. Yeah. Which, yes, I will say they should figure out a way to make a solid Warhammer RPG that is also conducive with table, not tabletop RPG like like D and D, like Wrath and Glory, but like something where I can take my small squads of guys on the table and do this this role play type scenario or whatever. Anyways, right. that's neither here nor there. But I think that that is the draw, really, of tabletop role playing more than, you know, some, some other kinds of games, is being able to have the freedom of coming up with creative solutions and creating those more cinematic moments, which I think is the reason why you can do a D&D movie effectively, because that that has a similar feeling to it. You can you can tell stories in a similar way to a movie about Dungeons and Dragons. You can do that at home, and obviously a lot of it's done in the mind uh, because you don't have the cinematics to go along with it. Although technology is starting to catch up with us on even that front now, yeah, um, with virtual tabletops and the like. Uh, but. That that is really the draw for the uninitiated, for people who might have gone to see like the D and D movie, or or you know that was your first experience understanding like the role playing games as an aspect. Um, is that a lot of players are chasing something to that effect with their friends or with other? They're chasing people. that dragon. They're chasing that dragon, but the dragon is not Cocaine Bear. It could be. There has to be a boss in a game of D&D that is just Cocaine Bear. Uh, I will workshop it and let you know what I come up with. There's probably already a stat block for Cocaine Bear. It's got rage, but like times three. It's a barbarian bear. It's a barbarian. It's a bar. It's a barbarian. It's a barbarian. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. We need more barbarians, uh, and you can play it. I think that that's actually a combination of a barbarian and a druid, because you're just constantly in wild shape. Oh, that was going to be what my character did if you went down the barbarian path. So. Oh, good. Yeah. Great. Anyways. Anyways, uh, so to try and explain to a lot of people that might have seen a movie and wanted to know why the the tabletop experience has been around for half a century now uh that is the reason because it allows people to play in a game that gives a, a shadow of that sort of cinematic experience that you went to see the movie for um and uh it can be a lot of fun especially if you have a lot of people that are buying into the same storyline and are working together uh to create that kind of uh, intricate storyline uh and have fun doing it um, you will see that when people play uh, online and in live plays and maybe even in ones that I was in uh, where uh, things just kind of get a little bit wacky, but everyone's there for the same purpose and joining yeah. in for the fun. Um, there is a cinematic quality to even watching something like Dimension 20 or, uh, or like Critical Role um, because... There is a very big correlation to that, and it's the reason why uh, a movie about it seems like it could have been done at any time in the last 50 years if they had done it correctly and not whatever that 2000 movie was that was... 
that that I think probably missed the mark for most people. <laughs> There's a real interesting cinematic, almost movie-like quality that can go into TTRPGs, and uh, hopefully now that people have seen the movie, they get the idea of like why why yeah. we, we play that. Why do you play tabletop role-playing games, or do you? Uh, and if you have a specific one, which one would make a good movie? I'm thinking, actually, Vampire the Masquerade. And they already... No, they didn't do a movie. No, but they probably could pretty easily. Yeah. I think that would make... Oh, you know what they should do? They should make that uh, that Star Wars RPG into a movie. Oh, yeah. The, loosely based on Star Wars. Galaxy's Edge, right? Or the... Edge something like that edge of the empire edge of the empire edge of the empire yep yeah. galaxy's edge i think is the theme park <laughs> now that i'm thinking that. Oh, there you go yeah yeah you guys should make a star wars movie that would be mm. that would yeah. be cool people would probably go to see that maybe depends uh depend what number it is anyways <laughs> 10 wait for it it's coming This is where we roll the credits at the end of the movie. Uh, okay. Yep. And uh, this is basically our names appear and no one else's. Our names and our our creative director and our patrons. Yep. And thanks. Uh, thanks to all the people who made this award possible. That's right. And also, I want to give a special thanks to Cocaine Bear, who has been in our hearts for the last few episodes for obvious reasons. Uh, so there's there's that in in our hearts always uh rest rest in power uh chief anyway uh alex if uh the folks out there would like to see any more of our cinematic masterpieces that we have put out where could they go uh you can go to youtube if you want to see cinematic stuff because youtube is where the videos are at you yes. can find them at youtube.com slash lockdown probably uh i assume that's our link yes. there'll be a link in the description if not or just search total pub lockdown and you'll find it that's great uh, but you can also find all of our stuff over at TotalPublicLockdown.com. That's right. Uh, you can find the episodes of the show. You can find some of the other stuff that we do there. You can also find a Patreon link, uh, which all of our lovely patrons already know about. But I wanted to tell everybody else, um, you can get full video versions of these episodes before they ever come out in either video or audio form. And you can even find the extra stuff that we talk about off camera. Well, not off camera because we're still on camera when we do it. But the stuff that doesn't get into the normal episode. It's the B roll footage we give everyone you, likes that sweet sweet b-roll yeah roll that beautiful b-roll footage you can find us on every podcast app known to mankind please rate and review and subscribe where applicable and you can also find us on social media i am at satanium i'm at exp limited and our show is at pebble knockdown so check us out over there and until next we meet until the sequel or squeakquel as we are we're gonna do a prequel we're going to do a prequel trilogy after this, and it's going to make, be great. We need to make two more podcasts as prequels, though. Yes, yes. We'll make a... What are, what are we going to call those now? Um, uh, Tiny Pebble Knockdown. That's when we, first, when we first came in. Awkward adolescent phase pebble. Like, there's got to be a phase where the pebble's just kind of trying to work itself out, work on itself... Fair.
Yeah, we can do that. Find but out until our prequel and next podcast. Rolling along, how Pebbles got knocked down. We will catch you on the next one. To be continued. See what I did there? Yeah, with a K, continued. <laughs> Continue? Where's the no button? Where's to, the no button? To be continued. TBK. I just want my Cuphead movie. Why can't we do Cuphead? That would be an action, like, big budget action movie. Oh, because, uh, I don't know. Anyways. There's one part in the movie where they basically have run out of plans, and somebody has the bright idea, Oh, wait, if we time this right, everybody jump into the slime. Side note, uh... Taryn Edgerton actually does a really good job as Hank in in the Tetris movie too. He was, you know, he's empathetic but driven at the same time. Just just side note. Good job, Taryn.